Uh, the third Bible reading tonight is taken from Judges chapter 5, and that's on page 191 of the Pew Bibles. Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. Israel's leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers. For I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields at Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shemgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads, and the travellers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel, until Deborah arose. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates. Yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. My heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. Consider this, you who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road. Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villages in Israel. Then the people of the Lord marched down to the city gates. Wake up, Deborah, wake up. Wake up, wake up and sing a song. Arise, Barak. Lead your captives away, son of Abinom. Down from Tabor marched the few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against mighty warriors. They came down from Ephraim, a land that once belonged to the Amalekites. They followed you, Benjamin, with your troops. From Machir, the commanders marched down. From Zebulun came those who carry a commander's staff. The princes of Ezekiah were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there, were great, there was great indecision. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben there was great indecision. Gilead remained east of the Jordan, and why did Dan stay home? Asher sat unmoved at the seashore, remaining in his harbours. But Zebulun risked his life, as did Naphtali on the heights of the battlefield. The kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanak, near Megiddo's springs, but they carried off no silver treasures. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept, swept them away, that ancient torrent, the Kishon. March on with courage, my soul. Then the horse's hooves hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Let the people of Morose be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed, because they did not come to help the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber and Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Sisera asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurt. Then with her hand, she reached a tent peg and with her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head 
With a shattering blow, she pierced his temples. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet, and where he sank, there he died. From the window, Sisera's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the captured plunder. With a woman or two for every man, there will be colourful robes for Sisera and colourful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colourful robes embroidered on both sides. Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera, but may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. And it would be good if you could have your notes in front of you, the little document here that has a lot of blanks there for you to write down a word that will appear on the screen with a word underlined that you can then fill in. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you so much that you do speak to us by your word and we thank you now uh, that you will be teaching us by your spirit as we look at this verse uh, this chapter chapter 5 from the book of judges and we pray that as we see this we would rejoice in all that you have done for us and we pray it in jesus name amen well one of the funniest things i saw on facebook this week uh, was a mashup of the federal election coverage from last saturday night uh, I, I missed the first few hours of the live coverage last week because I was here with you guys um, and having church and dinner. But it was almost hilarious to see how confident everybody was in the first hour or two that the Labor Party was going to win with a majority of at least 80 seats, one after the other, all of these people. And they were just so utterly confident. And then something started to happen. And the counting came in and people realised that there was going to be an unexpected victory. Uh, the panellists from the Labor Party and the other minor parties were originally pretty happy and then they started to be sad. And those who were from the coalition were originally feeling a bit sort of bracing themselves, started to have a bit of a smile on their face. It was interesting to see the whole thing turn. Uh, one of the reporters said that the Labor Party headquarters was gathering for a party but a few hours into the counting, it had turned into a funeral. You see, for the Liberal National Coalition, this election was an unexpected victory. And the celebration at the Wentworth Hotel was elated. Now, I don't know whether you were cheering or weeping after the election. It doesn't really matter. But the point of this is that there were a lot of people who saw this as an unexpected victory. And as a result of seeing this unexpected victory, we saw a lot of excitement. And with that excitement came singing. You know, it's, not un it's pretty unusual to see a bunch of Aussie blokes gathering around, hugging each other and singing and dancing. Uh, it's a bit odd, especially if they're, they're not maybe from a Mediterranean background where that may be a little bit more normal. Uh, but we see that when the winners of the grand final celebrate their victory. You know, they're pretty straight, kind of simple, it's kind of like normal, like we know, don't get too excited. And then suddenly it's like, woohoo, and go crazy. 
And we often sing at those times. We sing when we are overcome with joy. Now, God's people have been singing since the beginning of time. And in fact, the largest book of the Bible is a collection of 150 songs, songs that were written to be sung when God's people gathered. Uh, some of the songs sing of the wonderful character of, God's, uh, of God and how he's a promise-keeping God. Some of the songs sing about the sadness and lament of God's people in this troubled world. And some of the songs are simply celebrations of the victory and the salvation of God's people. Now, I wonder how you feel about singing in church. I, I quite like singing in church. I love to be able to sing with a whole bunch of Christian brothers and sisters with one voice celebrating God's love and grace. Now, it may be that singing perhaps doesn't come naturally to you and then maybe you've spent much of your life perhaps married to someone who you know shouldn't go into any kind of singing contest. Uh, that's okay. But whether you are a naturally a great singer or not, I don't care. Just belt it out. And if you don't like what you're hearing next door to the person who's having a go and maybe not hitting the same notes you're trying to get, then sing louder. Don't worry about it. There is something that happens. There is something terrific when we sing together because singing expresses a deep unity, a deep unity. With one big voice, we sing out loud together. Throughout the Bible, this happens over and over again. Uh, you know that time when they had the Passover and then they left Egypt and they went through the Red Sea, which parted, and then they got through safely and all of Pharaoh's bad guys got drowned. And What did they do? They sang. They sang a song. Uh, when Mary found out that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, what did she do? She sang a song. Amazing. That I would be the one, you know, that I would be the one who would bear the saviour. And as people gather around the throne of heaven, what do they do? They sing. They do a lot of singing. If, you don't, if you're a, a Christian and you don't like singing, then start to get used to it because it's going to be a big part of your life when you pass away. But, but, but maybe you might be given a, a new body with vocal cords that work really, really well. So don't worry, be all good. It doesn't matter. Now, today, we have just heard a song read to us. 31 verses from the chapter 5 of Judges. It's a song that is sung by Deborah, though Barak is also listed as a singer there. And we read in chapter 5, verse 1, that on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang, sang this song. Deborah is the person who is the prophetess of God's people, and she's also the judge. Uh, and Barak, we heard last week, he's the leader of the army that, that eventually killed 10,000 people in a miraculous way. <clears throat> a, a remarkable salvation has been won. And Deborah and Barak are very, very excited about it. They're elated at what has happened. We have, look at verse 2. He's, they say, Israel's leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. That's the first thing they praise God for. They praise God for what's happened. But look where they start. They praise the, the Lord because there was clear direction from Israel's leaders. And they praise the Lord because the people followed their leadership. You know, it's a beautiful thing when teams actually work well. It's a joy when people gladly follow their leaders. But this is more than just that. It's about God's people 
gladly following the charge of the leaders. That's what it says there. It reminded me as I was reading this of a verse in the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. I've experienced churches where people have not gladly followed their leaders. And I've seen how this has, has brought sorrow to the leaders. Uh, our spiritual leaders are accountable to God for our souls. And it's a significant responsibility. You sort of think about Barak and how he had to make big decisions as he was leading his people. Um, he's got to make choices. And whether he chooses to go that way or that way, he will ultimately be held accountable for it. And, and the army needs to follow. You know, it's a great joy to be in a church where there is unity in vision and where people gladly follow the leader. It's a joy and it, it's, it's been an experience of mine in, at various churches in my life and it is a joy. Uh, some fresh research on church growth in Sydney Diocese, and I was only emailed this last week, uh, it reported that collective confidence in a church is a direct contributor to attracting and retaining newcomers. And so, in other words, if you want to be a church that brings in people who have not come before and people who have not come before want to stay, then it's about collective confidence, which is satisfaction with the church and its leadership. They noticed three indicators. Growth in faith through the church, leadership that inspires people to action, and church services that are inspiring. See, when all these things sort of happen, people want to bring their friends along to church and people who come along want to stay. And if you've come along here for the first time tonight, we're just really stoked that you're here with us. And uh, we hope that you will indeed stay with us. But you see, this is, this is something that happens when everybody's all together. And I reckon this is why, straight off the bat, that the first thing that Deborah sings about is, weren't we an awesome team? We just did it together and it felt great. Praise God for that. And having sung this, they then, Deborah and Barak, address all the kings. And they, in fact, tell them to listen to the song. They say, you've got to listen up. They say, listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Note, the song is to the Lord. But... It's to be listened by all the mighty rulers. It's funny, isn't it? It's sort of a little bit like when you're in a stadium and your team wins and you're all singing this team song. You're singing it to each other and to the team that has the victory, but you're also kind of singing it to everybody else to maybe um, help them deal with their pain in a sort of strange way. <laughs> There's, with this, that Deborah and Barak are singing this song to the Lord, but they're singing it in the presence of all of the other kings uh, that's what happens to us as well our praise to god as we say we love you lord we praise you lord is to him but we, we don't do it in silence on our own uh, we do it together and, and we keep our doors open here because we want to have the people who walk past us to say wow these guys are singing something and they mean it our praise is to be heard by everyone our praise is to be heard by everyone, everyone in the church, 
everyone in the world, everyone who has had, over whom God has had this victory. You know, I reckon there must be nothing more discouraging for the devil than to hear followers of the Lord Jesus singing loudly and proudly about the victory over sin and death. You know, that song, The Power of the Cross, we sing, it says, Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. See, as we sing those words, we, we, we say to God, we are so thankful. And we say to each other, how great is our God? And the devil is listening and saying, Ugh. this is one of the reasons it's so good to sing when we come here in Christ's name. And that is what we do because we love to sing. Well, the song now, having sort of given this preamble, starts to, to put to music the details of this great victory that's happened. You know, like with, with the Exodus, the water split, they went through, it finished, and they sang a song. Well, here in the fifth chapter of Judges, they've just had this remarkable victory with all the chariots and stuff, and now they sing the song. Well, what happened? Well, we hear about it now. And in fact, we hear more details of the great victory, details we didn't actually get in chapter 4. See, chapters, uh, Judges chapters 5 and uh, verses 4 and 5 say, Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai. In the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. We now find out some really important details about how it is that Barak's foot soldiers had a victory over the 900 iron chariots. How did that actually happen? Well, it all happened because of rain. Lots and lots of rain. We didn't hear this last time, but this is what happened. See, last week we saw that God spoke through the prophetess Deborah. And God's word through her said, Barak, lead an army of 10,000 men and assemble them on Mount Tabor so that they would then fight at the Kishon River. We, we heard about that last week. Now, I'll, I, I want to try and help you picture this. It would be a little bit like assembling 10,000 soldiers up on the hill at Riversdale Road. Okay? You know what it's like when you come out of Kiama, you go up the steep hill and then right at the top is Riversdale Road if you're... If you're not, not yet a local, if you're kind of like me, you're still working out everything. You get 10,000 people and it's all up the top and you're looking down over where there's Swamp Road. You know, the big flat area. And you're thinking, while I'm up here, chariots are not going to be a problem. They're not going to come running up this steep hill. But God has said, I want you to fight them down at the Minamara River. It's like, are you serious? Because if I go down there... They will come in with their 900 chariots in from, you know, Jamboree coming along and we will be absolute history. But the Lord was with them and he was with Barak, their leader, and Barak gladly followed him. Why? Because the Lord promised them victory. He promised them victory. He said, don't worry about it. You might be freaking out at the prospect of having 900 iron chariots like these massive big tanks, Sherman tanks, rolling in on the foot soldiers. You're terrified. I get that. But don't worry about it. It's all good. So what happened? Flooding. 
You know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's Swamp Road every year or two and you can't make it through and you've got to go around the other long way. Well, that's sort of what, that's what happened. And it happened really, really, really fast by the sounds of it. Uh, last year when Mandy and I went to Israel uh, in summer, it looked very, very dry. And people said, don't bother bringing an umbrella. Don't need a rain cap. Well, you always travel all the road. Don't bother. It will not rain. And it didn't. But when winter comes in the Middle East, when winter comes there in particular in Israel, suddenly out of nowhere it can flood like crazy. We drive through certain areas and it's just dirt, but there's these massive water channels and you're thinking, wow, can you imagine what they'd be like in full flood? Well, what's happened here is they, we, they've sung there that the Lord set out from Seir. Now, Seir is where the Dead Sea was. All this water, all this massive humidity, God has swept it up and he, like these big clouds, has rolled in. And then you hear this thunderclap and the mighty sound of God himself being there and the rain comes. And these floods, you know when you see like these YouTube clips and things like that, there's someone standing at a river and they look around, they hear this noise and this, this huge big river comes a torrent comes down and suddenly it's up to the wheels of their car and then it's up to their windows and they think, wow, where did that come from? That's what happened. Imagine it. Suddenly out of nowhere the Minamara River breaks its banks and the whole area there goes from being this wonderful hard surface which is perfect for chariots and suddenly it is a wet mush and none of the chariots work anymore. The, the powerful mechanical military might of Sisera's army of chariots is now humiliated Dis it's disarmed and all those chariot drivers can do is run away they run away from their tanks or the equivalent of them now you might say this is a fortunate coincidence you might say gee they were lucky how lucky was it that it happened to rain that day good luck but we don't believe in that we don't believe in chance. We don't believe that someone can be lucky or unlucky or you know, cross your fingers or touch wood or rubbish like that. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe God is in control of every single little thing. We believe in a sovereign God, in fact, who, who rules the rain. And he uses natural forces to achieve his purposes. Now, we in Australia know everything about drought, don't we? We're told this week that we should be expecting water restrictions very soon. And our dams are dropping and dropping in level. The Burundong Dam, which supplies Dubbo and Kobar and Ningen, is down to 5%. Menindi Lakes and Keep It Dam are at 1%. This is, they are talking about a water emergency at the moment. How do we fix this? People might say, well, we need to spend $100 billion and divert rivers. and all. Maybe. But at the end of the day, even if you divert rivers and stuff, where, where does the water come from? It comes from the heavens. It comes from God. The Lord brings rain. We, we have all these really, really smart people in the Bureau of Meteorology. They've got special machines that spin around and computers that look, woo, all that kind of stuff. Good on them. That's great to know. We value their work. But it's not like they push a button and say, let's deliver 10,000 litres down into Jamboree. Bang, there you go. That doesn't work that way. 
when the rain comes or when the rain doesn't come. It's no accident. And that is why we should pray. I think as horrible as drought is, it's a, it's a salient reminder of our constant dependence on God. Drought reminds us all, it reminds, it reminds Australians of our dependence on God. We, we are very independent people in Australia. We have our technology. We have great wealth. We have all these things that, are, that, that people around the world, are, they look to us and say, if I could only just be like Australia. And I think we are arrogant. And we think, we don't need God. We don't need a supernatural world because we've got the lot. But when there's no water, it brings us to our knees. And if the Lord brings another drought or the drought gets worse and all that kind of stuff, we need to be praying. And we need to be praying not only for rain, but we need to be praying that those who are feeling the impact of drought will come to the Lord and say, we depend on you. We know that we are not in control. Well, the reason that they've sung this song here is to rejoice in the victory that the Lord brought them over a terrible tyrant. And their victory is so much sweeter when it's contrasted with the horrible oppression that they faced. Verse 6 and 7 talk about this. We read that in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads and travellers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. See, things have got really bad. They were forced to run away from the villages, to live in the hills, far away from the main roads and stuff like that. They feared their safety. They couldn't participate fully in the life of the land. They were just, it was like Shamgar was the thumb and they were squashed underneath it. It was a horrible time. And you can expect they were crying out to God, help us. And God sent a mum. He sent Deborah, a mother, for Israel. We're going to hear about two mothers in this poem, but here we read about a mother for Israel called Deborah. Deborah was sent as a mother for Israel. In this time of pain, she was the one who brought hope. Hope in this time of despair. But the reason that they were in this despair was because they did something really stupid. They, they deserted the Lord. Verse 8, we read, When Israel chose new gods... Now, tell me how that works. Hey? When, when Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates. Yet not a shield or spear could be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. Israel chose new gods. Why? What was wrong with the true and living God? Really? The, the one true God who created them and loved them was deserted. And God used the oppression of the enemies to humble them and to bring them to repentance. He used these bad guys, he used this evil to bring God's people to their knees. And part of this time when they were oppressed, was what happened was all of their weapons were taken away. They were disarmed. Not a shield or a spear could be seen. 40,000 warriors and they had nothing to fight with. That was how bad it was. What hope would they have? And so what would you be like if you were a commander of one of those armies? 
saying, what are we going to do? We've got no spears, we've got no shields, we've got nothing to fight with. Well, verse 9, he says, my heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. It's like, sorry guys, good luck with that. No one's got any weapons. My heart goes out to you guys. And yet, in their song, they praise the Lord. You wouldn't expect that, would you? My heart goes out to them. They've got nothing to fight with. Praise the Lord. Really? Why would they praise the Lord? And that is because they, they, they know that in their distress, the Lord is still with them. When they are really down on their knees, when the Lord says, I want you to fight against the military power of Sisera, but you've got nothing to fight with. And I'm going to put you out in this flat ground with 900 chariots coming at it, but trust me. In their distress, the Lord was with them. Even though they deserted the Lord, he never forsook them. You know, if there's one lesson that we will learn in these nine weeks of the book of Judges, if there's one thing you take away from this whole time, and that is no matter how great the sins are of the people, God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I see, you may have in your heart deep sins that you are dealing with, things that you have done or are doing that you regret, that you think, how could God possibly love me in that? Let me say, it ain't nothing compared to the apostasy of God's people. And yet he never gave up on them. He fought with them. He held their hand. He gave them relief. He sent a mum. A mum who loved them and who saved them by bringing them God's word. If you have sinned in a big way and you know it and it's on your heart now and you're feeling like you can't come to God, then stop waiting. Just do it. Come to God and say, I'm sorry. And you'll say, I forgive you. You can always come back to the Lord and he will always receive you with open arms. So with all of this in mind, the armies of the Lord people gather for battle without any weapons at all, of course. They are weak. And it doesn't matter how rich they are, they're weak. It says, consider this, you who ride on fine donkeys, you know, you drive sports cars, or you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who just walk along the road. doesn't matter where you are on the whole spectrum of things. You, you are all in this together, gathering here for war. And as you're here, listen, verse 11, Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villages in Israel. And then the people of the Lord march down to the city gates. You might be terrified because you know you've got to go into battle and you've got nothing to fight with. Whether you're rich or poor doesn't matter. And you come there shaking in your boots and the musos are there. And they're leading the singing and they're saying, Remember the Lord... You know, they're saying, think of what he did. Think of how he saved us. Remember that he is in control. And it's like, okay, we're shivering, we're scared, but we're hearing the singing. And with that, as they're singing a Colin Buchanan song, they're marching down to the city gates. They took strength by remembering the Lord's victories. 
You know, if you at times feel terrified to talk about Jesus because you think your friends at school or in your workplace or your family members or the people in the club or the people you live next door to or the people on Facebook or wherever it is are going to hammer you because you're a follower of Jesus, remember the Lord. Remember that he's in control. Be strong and courageous. The Lord of the ages holds all these little ones safe by his side. Remember the Lord's victory. Sing a song. And remember of all the things that we as the new covenant people can say, it is finished. The greatest battle of all is the cross. Anyway, the, bar- the armies are gathering for battle and they say to, to Mummy Debbie, wake up! Wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, wake up. And sing a song, Deborah. Sing us a song, Deborah. And Barak, you too, get out of bed. Lead your captives away, son of Abinoam. And so there they go. They're ready to happen. And they're ready for it to, the battle. Just bring it on. They don't have any shields. They don't have any swords. They feel like they're about to be mown down by the equivalent of a thousand armoured tanks. I just think of that scene in Gallipoli, the movie, and the whistle blows. It's kind of like that terrifying feeling. Well, the whistle blows and the Lord's army runs down the hill into the valley, ready to be mown down by these terrifying chariots. Well, what happens? Verse 13. Down from Mount Tabor, Riversdale Road, marched the few against the nobles the people of the lord marched down against mighty warriors and these people came from all the different tribes of israel but not all of them the men of the tribe of reuben they sat at home with their sheep they didn't come to the aid of the tribes of canaan Uh, and in verse 17 and 18 the tribes of gilead and dan didn't help and neither did merez in verse 23 but zebulun and naphtali did Verse 18, I just skipped over a whole section there. You might look at it later in your own time. But, but not all of them came together to fight. Some of them were chicken or some of them were just bored or were too, too preoccupied doing their other things. It's like, thanks for that. But nonetheless, God brought his people a sweet victory because the floods made the iron chariots useless. Verses 19 to 22 were skipped forward. The kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanakh near Megiddo Springs, but they carried off no silver treasures like they expected to. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept them away. That ancient torrent, the Kishon. March on with courage, my soul. And then the horse's hooves hammered the ground. The galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Terrified horses, terrified people. Despite their military power, the enemy was defeated. Defeated. We don't even read about the Lord's soldiers here. We just hear the Lord, who is the victor. We also hear about another hero, and that is Jael. Jael's the woman we already read about as being the assassin of Sisera. And it, it seems a little bit like how it was in the Second World War, that the greatest spoil of victory would be the tyrant, and in this case, the, the equivalent would be the, the, the assassination of Hitler. Did you know that according to the Wikipedia page, there were 42 unsuccessful plots against Hitler to try and kill him? So much, it's like, why one German? It's like, well, it, it matters a lot. 
Same with Sisera. And so with this, Jael, who finally assassinates him, she is considered to be awesome. We read, skipping forward, Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Because Sisera, the commander, he asked for some water and she gave him milk. Oh, what a special thing. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurt. Oh, he was, you know, tucked into bed with a nice little hot drink. And then with her left hand, she reached for the tent peg and with her right hand for the workman's hammer and she struck him in the head, crushing his head, shattering blow, she pierced his temples. Okay. It is brutal. It is brutal. But this evil man is assassinated by God's woman. Think Hitler. The person who assassinated Hitler, you wouldn't be saying, well, that was a bit violent. It's like, you are a hero. And this is summarised so powerfully in the alliteration of verse 27. I don't know if you noticed that as Paul was reading it. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. And where he sank, there he died. Boom. Right there. Microphone drop. Boom. Right there. Gone. And it's epic. The great terrifying tyrant is now killed. Hitler. Stalin. Saddam Hussein. Whatever. Gone. And she is awesome. But just before the song ends, there's an interesting cameo from his mum. Another mum. You're kind of thinking... This is kind of where you'd expect this, this song to end, but it doesn't. Because poor Cicera, who's who's been out camping, uh, he's dead. And from, his, from the window, we read verse 28, Cicera's mother looked out. Through the window, she watched for his return, saying, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? You read this and you think, oh, wow, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Cicera's mum, Hitler's mum, you could think, that's a bit sad because she's a mum and he's a child. Never to be reunited with her child. And she says, it's okay. I think it's all right because he's probably counting all the money from the losing soldiers. But it continues. Verse 29, her wise women answer, and she repeats the words to herself, they must, it's okay, they must be dividing the captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. There'll be colourful robes for Sisera and colourful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colourful robes embroidered on both sides. I wonder if your sympathy for her has just dropped. Because the first thing on her list of spoils is the captured women of the dead soldiers. But literally, the word in the Hebrew is a womb or two for every man. This is, a, this is a woman, a mother, saying a womb or two for every... It doesn't dehumanise them. A womb. A womb that can be used to make slaves. A womb that can be used to bring sexual satisfaction to a male. Kind of, in all of this, she glorifies the horrors of rape in war. It changes that picture. This is the evil that we're seeing here. The evil that... God's people were oppressed by. And she just thinks about the rape of these women and how she's going to have a nice dress. It's horrible, isn't it? And it all comes from the hands and the heart of men like Sisera.
We should feel no sympathy for Sisera nor his mum. And that's how the song ends. The last verse. Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera. But may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. And then there was peace in the land for 40 years. Amen. You see, it's kind of like the greatest possible outcome is here and it is peace. They have rest for four decades. And it's because the Lord fought their battles and was victorious. And the victory was dramatic and the victory was just. See, throughout the history of the church, God's people have sung songs of praise. And probably the greatest chorus of the saved is the new song that's sung in heaven. Revelation 5. Blessing and honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The greatest battle of all, the cross. The greatest victory of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus fought sin and death for us, we now enjoy the benefit of his victory. History remembers the victors, and that victory was won at the cross. And that is something worth singing about. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon this song tonight, we thank you again for the victory of the cross. And we thank you that though we were people who have strayed from you, that you never left us. And we pray that as we fear going to battle as a Christian, that we would remember your victory at the cross and that we would know that you have given us a blessing beyond what we could ever imagine because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the hope of his return. And we pray this in his name. Amen.